Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to these local experts who have information on COVID-19 and recommendations related to it. If you have a question for our guests, please email it to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. And good morning and welcome to another edition of The Lowdown. This is a new special um, edition, new Friday, special Friday edition of The Lowdown. Uh, my name is Jared Griffin. Um, I am here with my colleague Dylan Samard with KMXT News. Hello, hello. Good morning. It looks like you just came from a workout. <laughs> Don't tell them that. <laughs> you've got you've got a you've got a you've got an aesthetic for for radio. <laughs> Covered in sweat. Covered and... in sweat. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, we we want to encourage encourage good health, good healthy <laughs> behaviors on on the lowdown. Um, joining us uh, today, we have. Um, Representatives from the um, uh, from the Kodiak Emergency Operations Center. Um, we have the uh, uh, the director and city manager Mike Twingy um, with uh, Bianca Clark and Megan Christensen. And um, Bianca and Megan, can you and Mike also can you uh, briefly introduce yourselves? It's been a while since we've had the EOC on on the lowdown. So uh, yeah, can you introduce yourself and your role on with the Emergency Services Organization? Sure, Jared. Uh, good morning, and a pleasure to have uh, us on there today so we can talk about our recent uh, situation here with COVID, and, and maybe we'll touch on the tsunami as well. My name is Mike Twangy. I am the city manager, as you mentioned. I'm also the emergency services director and the chair of the emergency services council. The emergency services council is the policymaking board for the EOC and our community. And then the EOC basically carries out those wishes and and uh, duties for for the community. Um, I'm Bianca Clark, and I uh, generally work for the school district, but I am also assigned as a public information officer for the Emergency Operations Center. So I work together uh, with my partner here to help communicate information out to all of you folks here in the Kodiak area. And I'm Megan Christensen. I am a public information officer for the Kodiak Emergency Operations Center. And when I'm not um, helping out here at the EOC, I work for the Kodiak Island Borough and the Borough Manager's Office. All right. Well, well, welcome again, and thank you for sharing your uh, your time and uh, your expertise uh, with us this morning. We want to start off um, before we get into the COVID-related stuff. Um, we want to talk about the tsunami warning. Um, uh, that uh, that uh, that happened Wednesday. We should all get T-shirts that say, "I survived the largest earthquake in the United States in 50 years." It's pretty remarkable. The, it's no joke. Yeah, and and uh, I guess uh, and uh, so uh, Mike, I, I, it, it seems like we Kodiak came out of one of the largest earthquakes in U.S. history. It seems like we came out of it just fine here. We're very fortunate, and so was the uh, Lucian chain as well. Yeah, like you said, a largest earthquake in 50 years. 8.2 magnitude was the recorded uh, uh, size of this. Actually, it was deep in the 
Earth's crust. It was 20 miles deep and uh, and far off coast. That helped us uh, avoid any tsunami really that should occur. There was uh, reported uh, like a half a foot wave of tsunami wave, but that's really minor in, in the scope of things. But yeah, we're trying to get the tsunamis or the earthquakes to happen during the day, but uh, that doesn't seem to be registering yet. These, these, these late night ones are hard on everybody. And and it, it seems like the one that was on Wednesday happened that almost on the exact same day, almost at the exact same time as a year ago. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I heard that. Uh, I heard some news yesterday that that uh, fault area has been uh, like a hundred years or longer since it was actually uh, active. So uh, that's interesting to know as well. Hopefully, not a new annual tradition for Kodiak. <laughs> Right, right. So, um, how did things? Uh, uh, so that so that night we were here at the radio station until about um, two a.m. How um, how did things go with the uh, with the uh, emergency operations center that night? Well, we have a call out system. Uh, we alert uh, members of the emergency operations center immediately. Um, first, first we receive notification from the uh, National Weather Service or the Tsunami Warning Center, either one that there's been a magnitude earthquake and uh, they issued a warning for our community and other coastal areas. And so we muster up the, uh, the EOC members. Uh, I believe everybody shows up within about 10 minutes, realistically. And uh, we pay attention to the National Tsunami Warning Center information that comes out of Palmer. That's our, that's our source. And, uh, you know, we sound the alarms immediately as a precaution. Uh, better to be ahead of the ahead of the storm than behind the curve. And, and uh, you know, as preparation, I know the Coast Guard evacuated and many people evacuated from lower areas. Um, we heard there's uh, uh, about 200 people at the high school and another 200 people at Safeway parking lots. So... Evacuate to higher ground is is the correct answer. We we fielded some questions about the um, the alarm um, that it would, uh, it would it would it would go off for for several minutes and then it would stop. And um, could you explain how how the alarm worked? It seems like it was it went off for about five minutes for a recharge, and at one point you decided to let it not run for fifteen minutes to to re, uh, to recharge. Is 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 that correct? How 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 does the alarm work in that regard? Yeah, so the alarms go off, and and they're actually um, there's a battery trigger to those the, for the relay. If you want to get a little technical, but they they'll run for five minutes, and then uh, they'll they'll somewhat recharge. Uh, at some point uh, after we realized that you know this the community had been uh, adequately warned, I would hope to say, uh, we've made a decision to shut them off for about fifteen minutes to just kind of calm a little bit and, and avoid the sudden siren of, a, you know, to continue on. So we did shut them down for 15 minutes and then uh, fire them back up. But we made that announcement through the radio, both uh, local radio stations, so that people understood that this was not uh, an all clear. This was a pause in the sirens. And to, and to uh, always remember to wait for that all clear sound, which comes out of our local EOC. The uh, state defers to the local communities to issue the all clear. So 
We've got that sound. It's called the Westminster Chime. Everyone's familiar with that now with our Wednesday afternoon tests. And uh, that's a pleasure to my ears to hear that sound. So this is the this has been the third tsunami warning that has triggered an evacuation. Uh, the third in about eighteen months, um, which 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 seems like a lot. So I, I'm wondering about what are the uh, how much how much does a tsunami evacuation cost um, in terms of of, of man hours and um, and 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 any of, the, any of the other expenses that come along with a uh, with a with an evacuation, especially an evacuation that happens in the middle of the night. What are the costs of that? Are you uh, focusing mostly on the EOC costs, or are you talking about community-wide? Or? Well, um, yeah. Do you have a sense community-wide and, and being the city manager, um, a sense of um, uh, of what we're, what we're looking at there? Yeah. I, I don't – that's a good question. I've never pondered that really. Um, but, I, you know, the, the boats in the harbor, many of them leave harbor – uh, the hotels and, and residents downtown uh, evacuate. Um, you know, the EOC is mixed with both uh, salary and hourly people. So there's, uh, you know, split costs there. But, uh, you know, our fire department vacates the fire hall uh, in case of emergency uh, or, you know, structural damage. Um, so, you know, we bring a lot of people together. The police department is involved. Uh, we do uh, community uh, patrol to make sure things are going well in the community and there's no issues out there. You know, the school opens up for their uh, sheltering um, or, or, in this case, just evacuation center. Uh, so there's a lot of players involved. And, you know, like you said, third time in 18 months or something like that, um, we're getting pretty good as a community about the drill. Um, it seems to flow pretty smoothly, and and uh, I believe we only had one vehicle accident, uh, and that was at the end of this uh, end of the warning. You you mentioned the fire trucks and that they they um, have to vacate. Um, is that just a matter of policy, or is it because the, the 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 fire station's in the inundation zone, and with a new fire station, they would not have to vacate after every or for every tsunami warning? Right. Um, the, the fire hall is in the inundation zone. Um, the building is uh, decades old. I mean, over 50 years old. It's a cinder block structure. It's, it's got damage already from prior earthquakes, and uh, it suffered an additional damage um, on Wednesday night. Uh, so as a precaution uh, to avoid any um, loss of life or apparatus, we vacate the building as quickly as possible. Um, basically it is um, in need of replacement. And like you said, the, the new location chosen uh, on Mill Bay Road will be outside the inundation zone and will be a modern structure. So let's turn the conversation now to COVID-19. Um, so at, at our last received update, you guys reported that there were 14 new cases in the Kodiak Island borough, 51 cases active. That was Wednesday. Uh, I know you guys said that you would be re- releasing a new report every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Do you have any of those numbers for today, or should we expect that later? Uh, we plan on uh, producing the 
press release after we finish our visit with you on the lowdown. So it, there will be a, uh, an announcement released today. Okay, understood. So uh, w one of the questions that I wanted to ask is, you, so you switched from a weekly update to a three times weekly update. Under what circumstances would you guys switch from three times weekly to a daily update? Uh, the reason we uh, moved to three times a week, uh, Dylan, was because uh, of the number of cases we were seeing. We wanted to keep the community informed as much as possible. Uh, we felt three days a week uh, with our source of information and the, and the time it takes to gather those case counts and the, all the background information surrounding that um, three days is, uh, is about adequate right now. But in, in order to go to a five day a week or, or even uh, more, uh, I think it would be uh, a, a bit ability of the public health office to produce that information. And then of course, the number of cases that we um, see as a, as a real spike, you know, um, the, uh, the last case, I think the last day we reported was just one new case for that one day and there were 13 uh, a couple the day before. So um, what we're looking at um, is, is the number of cases per day and how fast we need to report that. It, it seems like last time we had this many um, active cases, we, um, we moved into yellow. Um, a lot of the questions that we're fielding and seeing is why, why are we still in green? What is the, the algorithm or matrix or decision-making process? for that? Well, we do have a community risk level that we, uh, we landed on this past year. Um, the reason we were in green is because, or are in green is because the low number of cases we had until just recently, the last few weeks, um, we wanted to wait and see how this ticked up, if it was just an anomaly that we had many cases or not before changing the risk level. And yesterday, the Emergency Services Council met, and we decided to continue this watch. Um, and part of it is uh, the, the mitigation plans that come with uh, changing of our, our risk level. The community is so well aware right now of what we need to be doing, taking self-precautions and, and protecting one another, that um, I think the information about the case counts is probably more effective than to say that we're in yellow. Um, so that was our determination at this point. But we're, we're going to continue to monitor and revisit this again next week. So an, another question that we have been fielding a lot of are whether or not the what the wave of cases that we have in town is the Delta variant. Do you have any information on that? Um, not specific to Kodiak. So our information from the Public Health Center informed us that they do not, um, for the at least for the purposes of sharing with either local public health or with us, we do not uh, sequence down to the individual person. So at no point is there going to be, uh, you know, 
so-and-so tested positive and specifically that so-and-so was Delta variant, at least not that is going to be reported to the public health office here to be shared with us. That was the understanding that was given to us from public health here. Um, that said, um, the state does produce um, a genome sequencing report, which I think KMXT has possibly received as a communication from a community member, um, but it is available on the state site. And they essentially each week do a sequence analysis of COVID in Alaska. And on that report, it does track the prevalence of certain variants in Alaska, including the Delta variant. And um, for the purposes of that report, Kodiak is lumped into the Southwest region. Um, and so again, not, not going to be able to specifically see Kodiak has Delta or Kodiak does not have Delta, but the Southwest region does have both Delta and Alpha variant um, sequencing demonstrated for the month of July. Is the EOC presently operating under the assumption that a majority of these cases are Delta variant in, in Kodiak? Not specifically. Uh, as, as Bianca said, we, we don't have uh, direct information that it's in in, uh, in Kodiak per se, but we are seeing uh, we are seeing some breakthrough uh, cases, which is uh, vaccinating people that are becoming uh, ill just recently, and that is an indication of the Delta variant. So that's another question that I wanted to ask was whether or not you guys had information. I I saw a report from a reporter on the state network earlier this week that I think it was in the, in the YK Delta, they had like a quarter of all of their positives were, were, um, were vaccinated. So I was wondering if you guys had any information like that, um, for Kodiak, do you know, um, how many, if any persons among the more recently infected had received the vaccine, whether or not they'd received both doses and, and gone through the waiting period. I, I was just wondering if you guys had any information about that. So prior to this outbreak, we were not tracking that information. Um, we did have some awareness of it. Since this outbreak, we have begun um, asking that information, although we have not you know, processed yet the percentages more of the cases seem to be unvaccinated. That seems to be the trend. Right. Are you going to be publishing that information in the weekly updates when you begin processing it? Probably not, simply because we were not tracking that information prior to this outbreak. And so we don't feel like we have um, true numbers or true you know, accurate percentages to put out. So following up on a question about vaccines, we've seen uh, nationally that the rate of, of increasing vaccination it has, been, has been quite slowed. I, uh, what are the EOC's plans for pushing the vaccination rate up in Kodiak? Well, uh, the EOC has held five different vaccination clinics, I believe, over, over the course of time. Uh, other... Uh, other physicians in the community of vaccination, mass vaccination clinics. The vaccine is, is readily available, uh, even just for walk-in now. Uh, you can still uh, 
register on covidvax.alaska.gov, I believe is the website. Um, but you don't need to do that necessarily to walk into Safeway or another uh, area to uh, to receive the vaccine. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the vaccine is uh, is available to 12 and older. Uh, it's still emergency use authorization, so it's up to the individual. But when you look at the number of cases that are uh, counted in the state and the number of hospitalizations that are counted in the state, uh, as Megan said, the majority are unvaccinated people. Uh, so there's there's some sign there that uh, I would heed, and that is the vaccine is seems to be effective for those that have uh, you know had both uh, both shots and have gone through that uh, kind of incubation period where they're where they're considered fully vaccinated. So to, to to follow up on that question, is the EOC? I, I mean, I, I I assume that all of us saw on the news like perhaps some months ago when when. When cities, when businesses were having raffles of just about anything from, you know, pot to guns to, to um, <laughs> cash to, to cash. Yeah. Is the EOC or any local businesses considering some variety of drive like that to your awareness? Or are you largely just at the point where you're where you're cons- saying that um, individuals are going to choose whether or not they're, they're going to get the vaccine? It isn't really up to the EOC to um, to push it. Um, we have not considered uh, door prizes, um, but I do know that uh, some in the community have issued uh, prizes or cash uh, for those that have come in with their vaccination card. Um, I think the, the real concern I would look at as an adult would be that fact that uh, the vaccine can prevent serious illness. That's enough uh, carrot for me to go get a vaccine. So another question that we've been fielding is under what conditions would the the city consider going to like a another mask mandate? What would have to happen locally for for some of those um, recommendations to businesses to reappear? Do you want me to take this one still? Yeah, sure. You know, so we've got uh, different uh, types of transmission. We have travel-related transmission. In other words, um, people contracted the virus uh, while traveling uh, abroad or or within the lower 48, some even in Alaska. Then we have close contacts. Um, Those are typically what I would consider um, group settings or or family uh, contacts where you, uh, someone in your household uh, gets sick and, and the variant is right now very highly contagious. Therefore, the chance of uh, contracting the, the virus again in your household is quite high. And then we have community transmission. So to me, that's, uh, I, I all I've been is to a uh, few local residents or went to an event or something and and i got it i have no idea how i how i got the back the virus so directly to answer the question is um you know widespread community transmission uh seems to be uh, one of the indicators to go to an increased risk level uh 
close contacts uh, are typically uh, quarantined at home and isolated. So um, that's controlling the virus. So if we have clusters that are controllable, um, the risk level would remain stable. But if we can't uh, pinpoint where people are getting sick, then we then we've kind of lost control locally over it. But um, you know, you'll recall last last summer, I believe it was last summer. <laughs> it's blurring on the COVID map right now. But you know, we had a lot of cases. They were down on the uh, south part of the island. You know, we had how many cases do we have at Alatech? Sixty-three. Sixty-some cases, and those are recorded in the in the Kodiak borough count, but they are not a real threat to our local community. Uh, so we, you know, we didn't adjust anything because of that. So um, there's there's a lot of factors that go into the play. And there's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, change that would have to occur locally with our businesses. So it, we're just monitoring closely. You know, we went through the hunker down and the, and the uh, reduced occupancy, and and those were all uh, tough on our community. But it, it did help control the virus, we believe. So you know, most businesses are are still operating under a, a mitigation plan that they've submitted and been approved by the safety office here at the EOC. And so my recommendation is to personally um, take precautions that we have in the past. We all know what those are, social distancing, uh, washing your hands, stay home if you're sick, uh, wear a mask uh, in public places. It's still I guess to wear a mask and uh, and then of course for businesses uh, please uh, please consider keeping your your workplace safe and and take those measures I don't think we need to tell people to do that I believe the community is well aware and and uh, and we can protect ourselves that way so one of the things that I think has confused sorry continue at first first you know during the early days of the pandemic um, we we weren't sure what this virus was how it affected us would it come to Kodiak so there were a lot of unknowns so we've made uh, precautionary measures some might consider um, you know quite restrictive but uh, it seemed to do uh, good for us and and now we've learned all those uh, mitigation measures and we should just be following those in our daily routine. So, um, for instance, yesterday, um, I wore a mask for a period of time during some meetings yesterday, just because these people were outside of my circle. So one of the things that I think has confused our <laughs> listeners is whether or not there's like a, 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 a matrix somewhere in your guys's office that basically says uh, X cases we raise to yellow. Um, you know, X cases we raise to red or or something like that. D is there any sort of chart that is guiding your decision making on this or is it sort of a, a or is it a thing where you where you guys look at it and you're and you get... more of an art than a science? Exactly. <laughs> well, I'll start this one off. Um, I believe the our community risk level is posted on our website. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And so um, it it. it, it it describes the situation uh, for each risk level. It doesn't describe the number of cases. We purposely chose to 
to do that, um, to, to eliminate those recent numbers, um, because there's so many mentioned those three types of transmission, uh, where the cases are, are they controllable? So if we had, you know, uh, you know, 14 cases, would that automatically put us in red? Well, red's pretty restrictive, but right now um, our hospital's not uh, overwhelmed. Um, I believe, do we have one in the hospital right now today? We might, because one went into the hospital um, Wednesday night. No active cases in the hospital right now. No active Jim cases. Said yesterday, Jim said there was one. Yeah, oh, I think, I'm sorry. I, think, I, think I stand we, corrected. We did bring one into the hospital, uh, COVID patient, uh, Wednesday night. But but we have to verify that information, and that will be on today's um, press release. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of factors, and... Uh, we're still looking at it. Uh, the Emergency Services Council met again yesterday, like I said, and we're going to review uh, our situation next week again. Um, but we purposely chose not to include numbers because um, that could really be a bouncing ball when you think about it. One case today, do we go back to green? 13, 13 cases tomorrow, do we go up to yellow or red? Um, so that's, that's confusing as well. Um, you had uh, one of the part of the the matrix, uh, Mike, that you were talking about. Um, that it seems like the most important factor is the the widespread, uncontrolled community transmission. Um, but we're in the green because it seems like most of the cases are are close contacts and not widespread, not evidence of a widespread community trans, uh, uh, transmission. Um, so does that mean that you've you've identified? Um, a, a, a cluster of cases with these close contacts, and can you disclose what that cluster was? Was this a was this a party or some kind of gathering? So we are aware of some clusters. Um, to you know, we don't really want to identify those clusters publicly, but yes, they're gatherings. It was. I don't believe it was. You know, irresponsible behavior. I believe it's that we had low case counts and and people let down their guard. And it most of the time, people aren't obviously sick if they're out in public, which is why we encourage people that if they believe they've been exposed to COVID, to please, you know, stay away from others. But uh, um, back to the the question is yes there we have identified some clusters and were um, due to gatherings and we, and we don't uh, happen to know like the um, um, age uh, gender uh, or age range um, uh, gender uh, of of these of these new cases that that you're reporting correct. Um, we actually do have that information. We we suffered a little glitch in communications the first week of the outbreak um, due to some changes at public health campus here locally. Uh, we're catching up on that information now, and as of the, as of today, once we release that um, press release for today, we also should have the dashboard, the local Kodiak dashboard, updated with percentages of for age ranges and. Um, Although we do get information on whether it's male or female, it's, again, something we've not been 
reporting or really tracking, but we do have that information. Um, and thank you, yeah. Um, coming back to the hospitalizations, um, uh, one that you're um, confirming today, um, and the report is only for Kodiak hospitals, uh, but if two patients were medevac during the ICU in Anchorage, for instance, like it's kind of a very different picture of what's actually happening with, with COVID in our community. Do we know how many off-island hospitalizations uh, currently active? Um, from our from the Kodiak community? Yes. Um, so typically when, um, when there's a hospitalization locally, we receive an update when the individual is hospitalized. And in the event that that individual is transported, um, Mike here and also our incident command um, is notified of that as well. And I am not currently aware of a recent medevac or any currently medevaced Kodiak residents um, off island seeking care for COVID. Oh, not currently. We have had though in the past. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we do report that in our press releases when we are made aware of the need to transport for a higher level of medical care. Again, you know, the doctors will elaborate on this, but there's various reasons for the medevac off-island. It, 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 it may be symptomatic of other health conditions, but they also have COVID. So it doesn't mean it's the COVID only. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what a lot of the, you know, um, we talked about this on Wednesday with, uh, with the docs is uh, Anchorage hospitals are kind of sounding the warning that they are reaching um, capacity. They've, you know, they have an you know, excess of COVID patients taking away resources and, and ICU beds. Does the, um, and since that's where we send our uh, patients that need to be medevaced, to what extent does their uh, medical capacity, their resources figure into um, our, our own Kodiak um, uh, COVID dashboard, our, our, our levels. Have you guys received a warning as to when they're, do they have an expected date on when they might fill up? I'm really glad you asked that question. That is a really important question. Um, and because uh, we're limited capacity here at Providence Hospital, um, if we did exceed uh, the capacity here, uh, patients like we just earlier talked about are medevaced off island to uh, mainland hospital. We need to take precautions in our community so that we don't overwhelm our, our hospital here so that uh, we can protect our, our community systems. If we, if we uh, over exceed our capacity here at the hospital and there's nowhere to send um, a patient because of their capacity on the mainland, you got to remember that all these communities or many off, off uh, rural communities are sending their patients into Anchorage Hospital or Fairbanks Hospital, Memorial Hospital, or maybe even in, in Southeast. So they're the hub, but uh, they, they have a limited capacity too, because as we know, there's more reasons to go to the hospital than just COVID. I mean, there's car accidents, there's heart attacks, there's other injuries that require emergency service. And, uh, you know, we've got to factor in all that. So those are, those are uh, kind of in reserve, I believe, in some of the hospitals. So when they talk about capacity, 
they can't perform. They cannot perform uh, medical procedures that are scheduled. They start rescheduling all but non-essential surgeries. So back to the uh, original question again is, is we uh, should, as a community, try to protect one another so that we don't overwhelm our local health care because that would put many people in jeopardy besides yourself. So have you received a, a warning date for, for when Anchorage hospitals might reach capacity? Um, not yet, we haven't. Um, I know our, our local hospital, Bianca said, stays in contact with us. And, and uh, right now they're, they're considering, uh, you know, the procedures that they put, fell back on before about having people just walking in. But right now we're, we're still, uh, we're still, uh, able to bring patients in. So we have a listener question here that is to, to the effect of, um, if, if your goal right now in the EOC is to get out word about the severity of, of the, of the potential issue that we could have locally, why, why not simply raise the, the risk, uh, the warning level from green to yellow? Wouldn't that do a lot to give people the, the impression that, that things are, are, are indeed getting worse in Kodiak? Well, I guess that's my question again, huh? <laughs> um, would would that make you protect yourself more? Me personally? Yes. Uh, I honestly don't know. I guess that would depend on how it would affect my uh, the way I engage as a consumer at some of the local businesses. Yeah, so we pondered that question, like I said earlier, is we're so far into this pandemic that um, we should all be carrying a mask in our vehicle or in our pockets or wearing a mask and, you know, watching who we gather with and such. Um, we went through a great period of time this summer where we could uh, r relax, but now it's back again and there's another variant that's highly contagious. So, um you know, we're considering the risk level. Um, like I said, next week, we're going to re revisit this. We're going to see how many cases we get um, between yesterday and, and next Monday. Um, of course, the state looks at uh, the, the state as a whole and, and makes decisions globally, you might say, as far as the number of cases. There, right now, there's a statistic about per cases per 100,000. Well, that puts our area in red, but we're looking locally in which we've always done locally is um, look at our community and, and evaluate the, the cases. Like we talked about, um, you know, one case was uh, travel related, uh, 10 cases were close contacts. So they're, 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 they're aware and they're isolating. And then two cases were community transmission. So um, you can factor that in and make a decision whether or not it's widespread uh, panic in town. So um, we're at a point now when, when some of us are at the mindset that um, will the risk level really cause an effect? Will it change people's behavior? And, and maybe it will. Maybe it will, uh, will uh, you know, put the masks on. But 
we're talking about our stores again and, and seeing if we should mandate it in our stores uh, because those are big, large public places. But the EOC and the Emergency Services Council has not made a decision to change the risk level yet. With all those factors that we know, um, we're still uh, we're still holding in green right now. Um, let's see. So, what is the uh, what is the EOC's primary source of data? Do you get it? Um, do we have a public health advisor helping helping to cull that data? Is there another state public health or office? Um, you know, how frequently do they get their updates from from, or how frequently do you get your updates from public health? What what is that time lag? Yeah, that. That's a good question. Here in Kodiak, um, I'm aware that we behave, or you know, our information is different than in some other communities. Our local public health uh, office has been shorthanded for the last year and a half. They've been through transitions, and um, it's been challenging for them to monitor the information. It comes from various sources. It comes from our local health clinics. It comes from a state database. And depending on the number of cases and the staff who are in place at the time affects our ability to report to our community. So it has been a challenge. And um, right now we are without a public health um, lead public health lead nurse. public health nurse and the two public health nurses who are present are um, from what I understand are required to undergo some training which they can't do without that lead person um, in place so I, I know it's been frustrating to some of our community members that they're not getting the data as quickly and um, in the, you know, the details that they'd like to see. And we're equally frustrated, and so is our local public health office. So I appreciate those who are patient and um, understanding of that matter. Yeah, local public health is our source of information. Mm -hmm. That is where we um, get our details, and then that's how we report the following day. Um, I think it's worth noting um, our, as Megan said, our local public health office is getting information directly from our care, healthcare providers here in town. Some information they are having to glean from the state's site, as um, it sounds like there are certain instances where things are reported directly to the state, and so they're having to go obtain that. So there can sometimes be a delay in um, our local public health office. Um, being made aware of those little sort of one-offs, if you will, that have gone directly to the state. But it's also important to note that in our last conversation, uh, Megan and I with our local public health nurse, um, there can be, you know, a couple day delay at the state level in seeing data come in. So folks are receiving or maybe seeing these state reports and they're seeing, you know, a new number for Kodiak, and they're thinking that's in addition to what we have already reported. But in many cases, that is still representative of a slight delay in the state's ability to report, um, which is likely just due to the uptick, again, in cases overall in the state. So 
Um, just for the community to rest assured that the information we receive has been verified by our local public health office here in Kodiak from information provided to them directly um, and that it's the best and most timely information that we can get out given all circumstances. Um, let's uh, we, we've we've gotten a couple more questions in about um, about uh, masking. Um, so the so Walmart just announced um, this morning that they are going to be requiring masks for all employees effective immediately, not for customers, but for uh, but for employees. Um, uh, yeah, they just announced that um, this morning. And then yesterday, um, President Biden um, is mandating um, mandating masks if um, federal employees aren't um, aren't vaccinated. We have mask mandates um, beginning today in Juneau, um, and then um, Sitka and other coastal communities have went ahead and um, and uh, are enacting mask mandates for what are considered hotspots, and we are we are considered a hotspot by by the state. Um, do you not find it maybe perhaps a little bit confusing that locally we are? We've designated a green risk level when um, all these other mandates are coming down for similar um, uh, 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 hot hot spots, and and we, and we know that that masks um, that masks work. So what? Uh, uh, so I I, I want to ask you again: what, what is holding us back from enacting more mask mandates? And I know that we've talked about. We've used the word, the, the verb um, should. People should know, but we know that mandates work. We know that raising the risk level works on 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 changing human behavior, especially when it comes to masking. So, what is it that is holding us back? Well, Jared, like I said earlier, is you know we just recently, I I believe, had the, the, the spike in cases, and uh, we're we're still looking at it. Uh, you know, Sitka was it Sitka that had a hundred cases in one day just recently? Yeah, they have a, you know, uh, over a hundred active cases right now. Yeah, yeah. Juno, um, Juno had a, a spike in cases too. So uh, we're looking at our community itself, um, and and that decision is going to be made in the near future if if we go to uh, any mandates or anything. But right now, there's a mask recommendation. And we'd like to see that people voluntarily put that mask on. And and if the local businesses want to uh, encourage mask wearing in their business, that's absolutely their prerogative. Um, and with the high number of vaccinations in our community, um, people are, you know, somewhat protected, but a mask can make it even more uh, protection. So uh, what's holding us back? Um, just... Uh, just again um, verifying that uh, this is not something we can control right now and we're going to have to go to some uh, more precautions what's one of the things that i struggle with is that um, we've been dealing with the covid virus for over a year um, the emergency operations center stood up and and put several measures in place and, and planned for certain events we've um, you know, we provided masks for the community over a year ago. We uh, provided the um, 
what's the word I'm looking for, a pathway for local clinics to obtain testing supplies. Um, things have changed in that last year. Supplies are more readily available. You know, masks can be found in just about every store now. We've, we've been repeating the precautions that have been provided by the CDC, the local healthcare providers. Um, and at some point, the Emergency Operations Center is, is going to have to stand down and people are going to have to learn how to live with this virus as we have learned to live with um, the flu and other health issues. And so we're sort of in a transition period right now um, that our community, you know, we're providing the information about the case counts and as much as we can about transmission sources and so I'm hoping that we'll, people will learn to take that information and know that it's time to put their own precautions into place uh, because the EOC is going to have to stand down at some point. I'm, I'm gonna read this uh, uh, story that came out um, yesterday from PBS, just a couple of, of paragraphs. Um, it has to do with vaccines. Um, as the Delta variant makes a deadly sweep through unvaccinated communities, renewing calls for masks and vaccine mandates, health experts say that uh, rare breakthrough infections among vaccinated people are not a sign that vaccines are failing. Instead, they are a warning of how vaccine holdouts can endanger even their inoculated neighbors. The amount of breakthrough cases we're seeing actually suggests that vaccines are still working great, but too much is being asked of them and that is um, Dr. Drew Weissman, um, who spent nearly two decades conducting research that led to the development of the mRNA vaccines manufactured by Pfizer and Moderna. Mounting research suggests the variants are placing greater strain on the vaccines. When people are infected with the Delta variant, uh, they produce a thousand times greater viral load than seen from the original COVID-19 strain. That means the Delta variant is more efficient at spreading, and every time an infected person coughs, sneezes, or speaks, they potentially release much more of the virus and opportunities to get someone else sick than earlier in the pandemic. With only about half of the nation's population, about 160 million, and um, about half of Kodiak's population, I'll add that in there, fully vaccinated against the coronavirus, the vaccine's advantages begin to erode. Um, so are there this... Uh, uh, are there discussions, um, I guess, at the uh, the local municipal level of mandating vaccines for, for public workers? We hear that's happening in other communities, um, and some businesses are doing that. Uh, we have not discussed that locally as a uh, formally, I should say. Um, we've, we've talked about that in the last few days, but not formally. Uh, requiring uh, employees to be vaccinated uh, it is still emergency use authorization. So there's some some uh, maybe hesitancy to to mandate it. But uh, no, we're we're not considering that at this time. And you said, but there are some local businesses that are doing that. Um, I've heard uh, statewide, not 
not uh, not here in Kodiak that I'm aware of. Or or if you don't have the vaccine, you're required to be tested uh, weekly. That's an alternative to that right now. Uh, the testing sites are open in Kodiak. The airport site is still open. You can still receive a COVID test uh, that our medical providers. Uh, that hasn't changed. We confirmed that most recently. Um, vaccines are available. They are a deterrent to the virus. Um, there are some breakthroughs now with, with the new Delta variant. And we could be seeing another variant in the near future again, I would just assume. Um, so, like Megan said, uh, we, we need to learn how to live with this virus and, and protect one another. And, you know, masks are uh, a strong uh, deterrent to, to transmitting or receiving the virus. So, um, you know, keep a mask handy. Um, I think we had uh, maybe just one or two more questions and... Um... And then I think, I think we'll be I think we'll be wrapping up. Um, so uh, you you've mentioned a couple times that um, yeah. So at one point the the uh, the EOC the COVID EOC will not uh, we will, will no longer be uh, needed or warranted. Um, I suppose and that we're going to have to live with the virus. Um, part of the one of the biggest concerns expressed by um, our docs here on the lowdown a couple of days ago was that. Um, with half of the population um, unable to or refusing to be um, vaccinated, that's just going to increase or accelerate the number of variants. Um, and so we will, uh, and these will be, you know, new things. So what what is it that we're looking for? I mean, does the EOC really think that the, uh, I mean, what, what does living with this look like, you know, um, from from your perspective? What does living with, and especially if we're going to be getting a new variant, stronger variants every every few months, um, what does that look like for you? Well, as Megan said, uh, you know, we hope to be controlling this na nationally and globally at some point. Um, if we see, you know, a rise in cases and hospitalizations, the EOC will absolutely be here. And stand up and and continue its its uh, business, um, but hopefully we can uh, we can fall uh, fall back on our our own safety precautions and you know someday consider stand down the EOC. Um, uh, we have a clock over here, and I think it says 501 days that EOC has been active uh, since 501 days. So uh, you can imagine at some point uh, this this will end. But uh, like I said, we're absolutely here. We're not going away. Um, we all we're all local residents, and we know how to get to the EOC. So uh, <laughs> if we have to stand up again for some reason, uh, like I said, for you know, if this case really if this uh, virus really flares back up in our community, um, I will say we're still active. Um, like. We're reporting three days a week. Uh, quite frankly, this group of three of us here, we're communicating daily so, uh, <laughs> and several times a day. So um, we're still active. A, a, lot, a lot of our listeners, and not, and not all, all of our listeners, that's why they're listening to, to public radio, just love to be 
educated and and informed. Uh, we appreciate you going to the three three times a week. Are there any other plans to um, address the uh, uh, communicate with the public um, anymore? Are there any like EOC meetings that citizens will be able to attend? Are you going to go back to the the Thursday live briefings that I think a lot of people actually really appreciated? Do, any plans to go back uh, uh, to that as it certainly seems that it's, uh, the surge isn't slowing down right now. Well, I'm glad to hear people uh, paid attention and appreciated those Thursday noon broadcasts. Uh, we did 51 of those. Um, this week, uh, we considered uh, another one, which would have been yesterday. Had we, uh, because we scheduled the lowdown today, and appreciate this opportunity today, um, we didn't have a live update uh, yesterday. Uh, the, yesterday, the Emergency Services Council recommended that we come back to do uh, a few more of those Thursday noon updates. Um, and if they are valuable to the community, uh, we will continue those again. Um, and I'm glad to hear that. If, if, they're, um, if they're not really uh, effective, then there's little, or re little reason to have that. But if the community is, is hopeful for that again, uh, we'd be happy to uh, present more recent information. Okay, and, and, and any any final comments any uh, uh, for um, uh, for the public this week before we sign off? Well, I'll make a I'll make a closing comment, and uh, you know, first of all, thank you very much for carrying through with all this public information through mm -hmm. your radio station. I know both stations have been uh, active all year. Um, and longer, uh, 501 days, I guess, <laughs> uh, providing COVID information in the latest uh, and greatest for our community, which the people need to uh, need to be aware of. And our PIO is, is doing a marvelous job with the help of our public health. But personally, um, carry a mask, wear a mask in public places. If, you, if the vaccine is right for you, please get vaccinated. Um, it's, it's available now to 12 and older. Um, that could be a tough choice for some parents, but uh, we are seeing that uh, it is protected. And uh, as Dr. Ann Zink and our local community, our local hospital has said is the majority of cases, the highest percentage of those that are ill are unvaccinated people. So the vaccine is, uh, readily available in our community. There's adequate supply. We just confirmed that yesterday. Uh, the testing sites are out there. So please uh, become proactive yourself. And, and as a community, we can protect one another. It's gonna take all of us again. We did come out of this at one point this summer. We can do it again. Well, thank you to um, our guests here on a very special episode of The Lowdown. Uh, representatives from the Emergency Operations Center, uh, Mike Twenge, Bianca Clark, and Megan Christensen. And thank you, Dylan, for, uh, for your questions, too. And, um, and we uh, will look forward to more updates from, um, from, the, from, the, from the EOC. Including one today. Including one today. So uh, stay safe out there. Mask up. Get your vaccine. Uh, thanks again for joining us on The Lowdown. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you.